It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Schusterman, alongside MLB Pipelines, Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, Jim and Jonathan, thank you guys for joining me. Uh, Jim, I understand you just got back from Arizona. Uh, is, is it, I hear it's a little bit warmer in Arizona. Is that correct? Not that much. Uh, it was when I was out there. I think the high was 64, which was nice compared to what it is in Chicago. But it was a couple mornings. I woke up. It was in the 30s. I was. I was not. I was. I was much smarter this year. Packed a jacket. Uh, packed all long sleeve shirts. So I was. I was much. Uh, much better off. Yeah. Yeah. Getting a few Arizona uh, rainouts, which is one of the more bizarre things I think <laughs> I've ever seen in spring training. Uh, we got a lot to talk about on this week's episode. We're going to talk about, of course, MLB Pipeline's top 10 farm systems, which have finally been released. We're going to talk about what Jim did see down in spring training and who Jonathan is looking forward to seeing when he heads down to spring training. We're going to talk about the article on MLB Pipeline, which is the 30 prospects we're going to be talking about in 2021. I know we're, we're already excited about 2019, but always fun to look ahead as well. And then we're also going to have a discussion about Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado, of course, no longer prospects, but they once were prospects, and we're going to reflect on what they were in the minors before they became the the very, very rich gentlemen that they are today with their new uh, big contracts. But let's start uh, with the top ten farm systems, uh, guys, and and I'm really excited about this list. And and let's let's just start right at the top with the San Diego Padres. And I guess my first question, and Jonathan, will start with you. How obvious was it from the beginning of this process that the Padres would end up at the top of the list? extremely obvious um so obvious that we pretty much told anyone who wanted to talk about top farm systems that they were number one before it was released we didn't think we were really breaking news or or you know letting a mystery out out of the bag it there are years where we have uh you know spirited discussions about who should be number one or you can make a case for a number of teams uh for us uh there were the padres and then there were every other farm system in baseball. Uh, so they're just the combination of elite-level talent at the top, and they have <clears> – <throat> excuse me, I'm so choked up talking about the Padres. Um, you know, they had 10 guys on the, on the, on the top 100, which, we, you know, is, is the most I think we've ever had. And, uh, and then they're really, really deep. Uh, just narrowing it down to 30 guys – uh, was was tough for uh, this year was Mike Rosenbaum along with Padres beat writer AJ Casavell put the list together so uh, the the combination of those two just made them uh, easily the, the the winner in our book. Was there any question for you, Jim, or you were you were on board with that? Yeah, no, I mean it, it's I, I think that the, like Jonathan said, I mean they're they're so stacked in terms of star level talent and in terms of depth. Like, we easily could have probably done a, a Padres top 40 or 50. Um, and it's just one of those, I mean, I always joke, I mean, I've been ranking organizations back at, you know, when I was at Baseball America, we'd go 30 deep, and I would always joke that, 
you would <laughs> you would only make one team happy, and 29 teams would complain they're ranked too low. But I think even in I think in this case this year. If you talk to other organizations and they're being honest, I don't even think the teams that are going to be right behind the Padres would really argue that the Padres have a better farm system. Yeah, that's fair. And and Tampa Bay coming in at the number two spot, Atlanta at number three, White Sox four, Blue Jays five, Astros six, Dodgers seven, Twins eight, Reds nine, and Tigers ten. Now, if you take a look at some of those next systems right behind the Padres, um, does it seem like the Padres are going to have staying power? Of course, at the very top of their list, we can probably expect Fernando Tatis Jr. to to graduate this season. But are the Padres so deep that they're still going to be in this discussion at this time next year? Or do maybe one of these other systems uh, right behind them could be in position to be at the number one spot next year? Jim, what do you think about that? Yeah, I I think they'll be still in position. I mean, so much changes. You know, we always like to say that, you know, development isn't linear. It's not like guys progressively get better. But, you know, they're going to lose Tatis. They're going to lose Urias. They're going to lose Mejia off top of their list. Now, (laughs) that would still give them seven top ten prospects. And and there's guys who – I mean, seven top 100 prospects. And, you know, I think guys like Xavier Edwards and, you know, depending on what happens with Cal Quantrill and maybe Anderson Espinosa comes back. And you go on and on. I mean, you know, Josh Naylor, if he keeps hitting like he did last year, might make it. So I think they're still going to be near the top of the leaders in terms of top 100 prospects. They're still going to be near the top. Uh, in terms of depth, uh, the, the one, I guess, complicating factor would be, you know, you're losing three of your top four prospects or losing three guys off the top. And I'm just trying to eyeball this. I mean, the teams that are behind them, uh, you know, the, the Rays probably aren't going to lose many of their top guys. You know, maybe Brent Honeywell, so maybe the Rays will give them a challenge because the Rays might be the second deepest organization out there. But both the Braves and the White Sox and the Blue Jays are going to be losing you know, top guys to the big leagues as well. I mean, there's going to be no Eloy Jimenez or, or Vladimir Guerrero Jr. for the White Sox or, or Jays, you know, a couple months into the season. And a number of the pitchers are, are going to make the jump to the big leagues for the Braves. So, um, you know, we'll see. But, yeah, I, I think there's a good chance that even with promotions, the Padres might be number one when we do this again at, at midseason. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I kind of look at the Padres, and it's not the same farm system at all, but – uh, you're looking at uh, the Braves, who did drop uh, a little bit, uh, but only to number three. Uh, you know, they they lost their their top guy last year in Ronald Acuna Jr., obviously National League Rookie of the Year, and, and that was it. Uh, and then they managed to you know make some trades, uh, but not give up any of their their top guys. So I could see, you know, depending on what happens with the Padres, if if they're this year's Braves. Uh, and they take like a large step forward, and they're competitive. Maybe they trade a guy or two. I could see them dropping out of the top spot, uh, but uh, but I don't think they're going to drop very far because of the of the depth and the number of guys who are a little bit lower down on the list. You could easily look at you know, Jim ticked off a few of them uh, that you could say. Oh, they could take a big step forward and and replace the the elite level top 100 guys. Uh, you know, as needed uh, as the year goes on. Right, and and not to stick too much on the Padres here, but you mentioned how extremely consensus it was that they were number one. Is this one of the better farms we've seen in a few years? I mean, you can think back to, you know, the Royals when all those guys were coming up together. They were pretty consensus number one. Is this one of the best farms we've seen in a while? Uh, or is this is just, you know, so, sort of a standard uh, number one farm system? No, it's one of the best we've seen for a while. I mean, the funny thing about that Royal system, again, that was back in my Baseball America days, but they were the first team that had nine top 100 prospects in BA history, and that didn't even include Salvador Perez or Greg Holland. Um, 
And this Potters team has 10. So, no, I, I do think it, it's one of the better farm systems we've seen in the last 10 or 15 years. And the good news for Potters fans is, uh, you know, I've done this story a couple times over the years, but if you look at farm systems that are ranked number one, the one exception, there was a, a Pirates farm system in the late 90s. We ranked number one at Baseball America. But but every other farm system that's been ranked number one, uh, you know, winds up in the playoffs within a couple of years. So I, it's, it, there is a direct correlation uh, between, you know, being loaded in, at the minor league level and winning at the big league level. And, and Jordan, you, you'll hear me say this probably numerous times on podcasts over the years if, if we keep doing them like this, but... Uh, I, I, you look at the best farm systems in baseball, and, and you know, the, not necessarily just number one, but if you took like the top three or four farm systems every year, one of those teams usually winds up surprising at the big league level, you know, ahead of uh, ahead of uh, you know expectations. I mean, we saw the Cubs and Astros do it. We saw the Brewers do it a couple of years ago. We saw the Braves do it last year. Um, you know, and of course, it helps when you sign Manny Machado too. But you know, the, the Potters have so much talent that if things break right for them. I don't think it's out of the question that they might surprise us and, and win 85 or so games and make a run at the wild card. Yeah, long, long way to go. I mean, they did they did lose a lot of games last year, but I do I do see what you're saying. There. There's a lot of and there's still a lot of young pieces on that team that were prospects very recently that uh, they're going to have to find spots for all these guys. Uh, so we we talk about the the, the top ten farms and, and I listed those off. Um, I'm curious about maybe a team that's not in the top 10 now that you could see jumping into this spot, maybe not necessarily all the way up to the number one spot, but a farm that's not in the top 10 this year that has a lot of upside. They're maybe not going to be graduating a lot of guys. Uh, Jonathan, who do you think is a team that, that could burst into this conversation at this time next year? I can't believe that I'm saying this, but I'm picking the Angels. Uh, and I say I can't believe I've done the Angels list for, for quite some time now. And, I mean, it was, you know, for the longest time, year after year, just finding 30 names was a challenge. Uh, you know, that was worthy. The bottom of the list was always just, just not very good. And slowly but surely, Billy Epler has helped rebuild the system, and they've done it by really aggressively going after uh, high-end athletes more than anything else and seeing them take large steps forward. So you've got you know, an elite-level guy like Joe Adele at the very top, and he's, you know, one of the best prospects in baseball, uh, had a much better field to hit during his first full season than anybody predicted. But it's not just him. Uh, you've got Brandon Marsh, who had a very good uh, you know, first taste of full-season ball last year, really toolsy guy, was a football player in high school. Jam Jones had a bit of a rough year last year, but I'm still really high on the talent. Uh, Jordan Adams was their first-round pick, another two-sport guy. A little more raw, so a little ways to go. So you combine guys like that, and then some of the international signs they had. Uh, Deshaun Knowles and Trent DeVoe uh, are both guys that uh, that got drafted out of the Bahamas, uh, who have a tremendous amount of tools. Knowles is a bit ahead, uh, and then sprinkling some sort of interesting pitching with Griffin Canning and uh, Jose Suarez, who's going to both of whom are going to contribute very soon and some other guys uh who they could take a step forward this year and it's just a much deeper list even as you go down there's some guys with upside who you know we'll wait and see uh you know if if these guys stall or or, or don't take a step forward then they're probably not a top 10 system they're not so super deep that they're like right there but i looked at them for a long time when we were voting for for our top 10 and they were right on on the cusp for me and i'm really excited to see some of these high ceiling guys and and what they do for an encore in 2019 and i think that if they all take 
uh, that next developmental step, that this, this will be a, a top 10 system for sure, either when we re-rank later in the summer or uh, this time next year. Yeah, and I think targeting you know athletes like Adele and Adams is, is sometimes risky. I mean, sometimes it pays off better than you ever could have dreamed with a guy like Adele. We'll see if they get just as lucky with Jordan Adams. Uh, Jim, what do you think? Are there any other any systems outside the top ten that you could see taking that leap next year? Yeah, I, I could see the Indians maybe doing that. And, and you know, part of it, I, I think, I did our Indians top thirty for the first time this year, and their system really, really intrigues me. I, I think. 15 of my top 30 guys were teenagers last year when they played. Um, it's an incredibly young top 30. I don't know if we've broken down the top 30s that way, but it's got to be one of the youngest top 30s, and there's just a bunch of gifted hitters. Um, you know, even, even the guys who are close to getting ready for the big leagues are, are, are still really young. Like, I, I don't think, you know, as loaded as their pitching staff is this year, that we're necessarily going to see Tristan McKenzie, their top prospect in the big leagues this year. You know, Tristan McKenzie is kind of an old man on my list, it feels like, and he's 21, and he was in double-A last year at 20. So, like, you know, he's not – all their guys are pretty advanced. You know, even a guy like Bobby Bradley, you know, was in triple-A at 22. And, one, I don't think they're really going to lose any of their top guys off their list because I think it's going to be tough for McKenzie or Bobby Bradley, who's close to uh, – to make the team or, or, you know, play enough to lose a rookie status this year. Yu Chang, who looked really good in the fall league, might get a utility role, but that's not a lock either. Um, so, like, most of these guys, you know, they're not going to lose people off their list. And they've just got, like, a number of just incredibly talented young hitters. I mean, Nolan Jones has made it to high A already, and I think he's a guy who's going to hit for average or power. But you've guys like Tyler Freeman, who won the New York Penn League batting title. You know, Bo Naylor is one of the best hitters in last year's draft and maybe a catcher. You know, George Valera, Brian Rocchio, these guys are just getting started in rookie ball. Gabriel Rodriguez was signed last summer. Aaron Bracco. I mean, they've got, you know, I think I might have like nine or ten really young middle infielders on the list, and it seems like they're all advanced hitters for their age. You know, pitching-wise, besides McKenzie, you know, Luis Oviedo, I think, is going to be a guy a lot more people hear about this year. Uh, Ethan Hankins, we thought had a chance to go number one overall in last year's draft before he had some shoulder issues that didn't require surgery. You know, Lenny Torres is another guy with a really, really live arm from last year's draft. Sam Hankins is a good lefty. So I think it's it's a deep system. And, you know, I didn't vote them uh, into our top ten. They didn't get my vote yet, but I think if these guys play like they're capable of, and they're gonna, a lot of these guys are going to kind of get the full season ball and or other guys will make their U.S. debuts this year, I think it's going to be apparent you know, that there's just a lot of upside in that system. Uh, you know, Cleveland's well-positioned. If it gets to the point where some of their guys get too expensive to, to keep, you know, they probably can't keep all of them you know, on the major league roster, they've got some young guys coming. So it, it, I think it's a very exciting farm system. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's true with, with both the Angels and the Indians. You have a lot of low-level you know, lottery tickets in some senses, obviously guys with a lot of, of pedigree, uh, whether when they signed or when they were drafted. But uh, they're not all going to work out. That, that's usually not how it works. But these teams have definitely given themselves a lot of opportunities uh, to see their young players succeed. All right, so I want to move on to, to spring training. The, the games have finally started. We're seeing some prospects actually get into some big league games, which has been very exciting. Uh, Jim, you've already been down in Arizona, and I know it maybe wasn't as warm as you had hoped, but I hope that you've seen uh, some, some good baseball. Who are some of the uh, the prospects that you've seen or that you've maybe talked to and then heard how their development's been going that you were most excited to see down in Arizona so far? 
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's more the latter because I was down there so early they had not really started playing games yet. Mm-hmm. And then the couple of days I was there when they were playing games, uh, Jonathan can emphasize with me, uh, I was in the middle of trying to finish up my last four or five top 30 prospects list to launch on the website. So I would basically run around minor league camp in the morning, talk to the farm director, interview a couple players, run over to the big league side to, to do my MLB network hit and then repair to my hotel room to chain myself to my desk and, and write top 30 reports. So I, I honestly think I saw two innings of two games, mm-hmm. of two big league games, and I didn't see a whole lot of action. But in terms of talking to players, I mean, it, that was, you know, fun as always. Uh, you know, it'll be nice when I go to Florida in a couple weeks. At that point, they'll be playing minor league games, and I can watch those on the backfields in the afternoon. But, um, you know, I talked to Austin Beck in A's camp. You know, he you know made some strides, you know, really had a hot August last year. I think he's starting to feel more comfortable in pro ball. He spent the offseason uh, you know, trying to add some, some launch angle and, and loft to his swing to develop the power potential that he has. Uh, checked in with Hunter Green in, at, at Reds camp, and the good news is he feels 100%. He thinks he's, you know, ready to go, no restrictions. You know, they may, you know, take it easy with him in terms of innings, but he, he's over the elbow issues that ended his season last year early. Uh, in Cleveland, I talked to Tristan McKenzie, and uh, the thing that stood out to me is, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen Tristan recently, but anybody who's watching, I mean, he's 6'5", 160. That's what he was listed at coming out of high school. And I asked him what he weighs now, and he said he's still 6'5", 160, that you know, he tries and tries to put on weight, and he can't. But the good news is he's at least able to maintain his weight throughout the season, and that, that big frame gives him tremendous extension, helps his stuff play up. Uh, you know, San Diego uh, – Hard as it is made to be to believe, I'd never met Mackenzie Gore before, talked to him as much what? as uh, well, I know. I, I, my, my love is professed for, for Mackenzie as a pitcher, and, and MLB Network had a good time making fun of me during the Top 100 show. And <laughs> we, had a good, we had a good laugh about that segment. He enjoyed it, too. Uh, so I, I got to meet Mackenzie Gore, and uh, the, the right-handed version of Mackenzie Gore, I, I spoke to him also. Luis Patino, those guys are good friends. Uh, they were together in low class A last year, and we'll probably kind of move up the ladder together and and help each other with their pitches. And you know, Mackenzie helps Luis with his his English, and Luis helps Mackenzie with his Spanish a little bit. It's I, I think there's uh, some some cut four potential, maybe like an odd couple type sitcom with Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino uh, coming up. And, and then uh, the the last guy I talked to was in Giants camp, uh, Elliot Ramos, who he know you know he knows he's got to work on plate discipline. He, he was the youngest regular in the Sally League last year, I think. Had an up and down year, but the tools are still there. And it's interesting. His brother, uh, you know, Wilson, is was signed by the Giants as a minor league free agent this off season. So he's kind of excited that he gets to gets to you know he's not you know at the same level as his brother, but gets to play with him a little bit. And I asked him. Uh, uh, I'm just Wilson. I'm getting my Ramos confused. Henry is who I meant, not Wilson Ramos. But Henry Ramos, an outfielder they signed. And I asked Elliot who the best athlete is in the family. And he said it's actually their their other brother, Hector, who's a professional soccer player, who was a good pitcher before he hurt his shoulder. But he gave the nod to Hector. So that was kind of my, my quick five-day run through Arizona. A lot of fun. Did not get to see a lot of action. But I will I will rectify that when I go to the Grapefruit League in a couple of weeks. Wow. Yeah, that's that that is quite the uh, quite the roster of guys you talked to there. 
Um, I, I mean, I have a lot of questions about a lot of them, but I actually want to stick on Austin Beck for a second because he seems like one of those guys um, who uh, was a top pick very recently and has kind of been lost in the shuffle, but he played a whole season last year in low A, and I think he had the most hits in the Midwest League. Um, is this a guy that we, th- we could see, you, you mentioned maybe, maybe uh, you know, working on the, the launch angle revolution that we all hear so much about. Uh, is this a guy that could take a big step forward in the A system this year, you think? Yeah, I think he could. I mean, you know, he was kind of a like like a little bit of a mystery, even when he went number six overall, because he had not played on the showcase circuit as a junior because he had hurt his knee in the North Carolina State playoffs right at the end of his junior season. Um, you know, but this is a guy with, with, with five-tool potential. And, you know, he really broke into to pro ball when he broke in in the Arizona League in 2017 after they took him at number six. He, he really struggled right off the bat. Like, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think it was something like he might have been striking out. You know, he might have been like five for 40 with close to 20 strikeouts or something. And it was in, you know, he, he kind of snapped out of it. And last year at Beloit, you know, that's probably the toughest place to hit is in the Midwest League. In the minors, he got off to a slow start. And as he said, I mean, he kind of made some strides at the end. He figured out, you know, he's, you know, play discipline isn't just strikeout to walk ratio. It, it's not putting balls in play. You shouldn't. And, and, he, and he made some strides with that. He hit. 320 uh, in in August and September, uh, you know a lot of doubles, only one homer, and he know you know that that's his next thing on his to do list. Yeah, I think his his development was always going to be a little bit you know require more patience than a typical guy who goes at the top of the draft because his bad he was a high school kid and he hadn't faced a lot of time competition on on the showcase circuit. So you know he he made the adjustment I, I think to, to hit for average and you know after getting off to bad start and now the next adjustment is going to be to hit for power and you know the good news is for for him in the A's, I mean, he's still just barely 20 years old. You know, time's still on his side. But I think you have to be encouraged by the, the, the progress he's made in his first two seasons. Yeah, I agree. So, Jonathan, you have not uh, made it down to spring quite yet. Nope. Um, but who are some guys you're looking forward to either talking to or seeing play uh, in, in, in some actual big league games or minor league games in the backfields? Who are you most excited to, to uh, get to talk to down there? I, uh, I'm still sort of figuring out who I'm going to be talking to, but I'm going to Dodgers, D-backs, Mariners, Rockies, and White Sox camp. Uh, so I'm still sort of poking around and, 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 and seeing. Maybe you guys can help me figure out. So, like, for D-backs camp, I'm kind of on the fence because I really want to talk to Dalton Varsho. Mm. He's in big league camp, uh, and we haven't really done much on him, and, uh, you know, he's going to be moving there quickly. But then there's Christian Robinson, and I kind of like the – I'm, like, way into the the baseball in Bahamas thing. I think maybe if I write enough about Bahamian players, I'll get to go to the Bahamas for a story. But uh, maybe that's just wishful thing. So I'm kind of on the fence there of which guy to talk to and be back to camp. That's, that's on Monday. I go to Dodgers on, on Sunday. Uh, I think I'm going to talk to Jared Kelnick. Uh, he's a friend of the podcast in, in Mariners camp. Uh, really, really uh, – was a, a really good interview on the podcast. So I'm excited to sort of talk to him about him being in his, his new environment, uh, you, you know, <clears throat> in spring training in, in Peoria for the first time uh, after he barely started his, his pro career, obviously was uh, tr- traded to the Mariners in the Robinson Cano deal. And then after that, I'm kind of going to wait and see and sort of figure out who I'm going to talk to. Luckily there are, there are many options, uh, I don't know when the minor league game schedule starts. So, you know, if it's still big league games, like I'm excited to go to White Sox camp and hopefully see Eloy Jimenez uh, in, in big league camp or see Brendan Rodgers uh, trying to, to compete for that second base job in Rockies camp. So 
uh, there are some really good big league options as well if the, if the minor league side really hasn't uh, gotten you know, gotten going yet. Yeah, you know, I talk to Grant yeah. Levine if you do a, a Rockies guy on the minor league side. Now, that would be I my like Rockies that. vote for you. And I'm, I'm glad you're getting Kelnick because I was actually supposed to talk to him on February 22nd, day three for me in Arizona. But the weather was so bad at Reds camp the day before they just, uh, you know, them, we've been kind of following MLB Network around doing the 30 clubs in 30 days, and they they just shut it down because the weather was so bad. So we did we did not go to Mariners camp. I did not get to talk to Jared Kelnick, and I did not get to uh, say hi to fellow uh, Oakton, Virginia high school alum Joe Rizzo uh, because I did not make it over to Peoria that day. Oh, I'm sure Joe, Joe Rizzo was extremely disappointed. Uh, if, if, he, if he knows, but I, now I, yeah. oh, come on. He listening knows. to the you podcast, the, he's going to be really upset. Every, everyone at Oakton High, before they go on the field, they, they rub, there's a, a Jim Cowles bronze bust, and they rub his head before they go into the field. Yeah, that's I not think, quite true. I just, I've made that up. Well, they, they should, though. I think they, they should, should be. Let's, well, they let's, should. let's start a movement. Yeah. Joe Rizzo's dad is on me constantly to donate money to the Oakton High School baseball program. So maybe if I did that, they would put up a bronze bust of me. So I, I mean, maybe you know, and then down the line, maybe Joe Rizzo can have a bust right next to you. You know, I think I think it's it's all very much in play if if Joe Rizzo can continue <laughs> to progress for the Mariners. Um, but that's uh, yeah, that's 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 exciting. Uh, I'm I'm actually going to be down in spring training next week down in Florida, seeing the the Astros Nationals. And Marlins, so so maybe looking forward to, to talking to to a guy like Forrest Whitley, who uh, who uh, we we saw him in in big league spring training a couple days ago, and he looked he looked like the best pitching prospect in baseball. So uh, nothing Indeed. nothing too surprising there from from Forrest Whitley. Uh, so so enough spring training. I, I know this is this is a prospects podcast, but uh, I do want to get to some some current events and, and kind of get the prospect angle on this. Uh, recently, we we heard news that Manny Machado. Uh, his his free agency is over. He has signed a 10-year, $300 million contract with the San Diego Padres. And then shortly after, we heard that Nolan Arenado signed an eight-year, $280 million extension with the Colorado Rockies. Now, I want to think back to when these guys were prospects. We know they're super-duper stars now. Um, Machado, of course, was a top three pick for the Orioles. He was a consensus guy out of high school. Arenado, also a high pick, but kind of an up-and-down minor league career. I kind of want to take some time to reflect on how these guys got to where they were and whether they have lived up to their potential, surpassed expectations, maybe a little bit disappointed. Uh, Jim, what do you remember about Manny Machado as a prospect? How obvious was it going to be that he maybe could one day sign the biggest free agent contract in baseball history? What do you remember about Machado as a prospect? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you could have perhaps seen that coming. I mean, uh, when I think of Manny, the thing that jumps out the most was just his draft year uh, was an uncommon year. You had three guys who were legitimate number one overall talents at the top of the draft, and him and Bryce Harper and Jameson Tyone in 2010. And I remember joking, I want to say, I'm pretty sure the Orioles scouting director at the time, Jonathan, was Joe Jordan. I remember joking with him that he had the easiest yep. job in the first round because he was just going to take whichever guy was left over, which is what they did because Harper went number one to the Nationals and Tyone went number two to the, the Pirates. And I, I remember, I mean, it was kind of crazy. You know, John, neither Jonathan nor I, Jordan, are, are huge fans of comps. We get asked all the time, hey, who's this guy compared to? But the comp that was going around uh, Machado because he was kind of this big-bodied shortstop from South Florida – was A-Rod. Like, that was the comp. And you know what? I mean, he's done, you know, a pretty good job uh, of living up to it so far. Uh, 
you know, I don't think he's, his numbers are quite as spectacular as A. Rod's, but but they're they're obviously really really good. Um, and the other thing, I, I guess I, I would I would say that that I thought was was kind of crazy with, with Machado was after playing shortstop his whole minor league career, I think he played. I think it was like two games at Bowie in Double A in 2012 in preparation of getting called up to the big leagues and becoming an everyday third baseman. And you know he looked great at third base and, and hit right away. So that's those are kind of my memories from uh, Manny Machado's prospect days. Yeah, and and I, I agree. Right, he there was no no sort of transition. And of course, you hear all the time about shortstops you know, being able to move to third, but he basically moved to third and was just immediately the best third baseman in the league. Now, for, for Nolan Arenado, uh, Jonathan, I'm, I'm curious, because this is a guy who, who was, of course, also a top prospect. I believe you guys had him in, in the top 30 uh, uh, in all of baseball at one point uh, before he came up with the Rockies. But he's another guy where the defense was actually a bit of a question mark, I remember, coming up and, and coming out of high school. And now he's also known as one of the best gloves at third base. I think we always knew he was going to hit. But what do you remember about Arenado uh, as a prospect? Now? Yeah, I mean, it's funny because it gets brought up on occasion, uh, the fact that you look at his reports from his early you know, minor days, and that was he got like fringy grades on his defense. I think at one point there was a report that was like there are questions whether he can stay at third. Um, so clearly he, he worked at it uh, a lot uh, to turn himself – you know, to and I don't know how many instances you have a guy who there are question marks, and then he's the best defensive third baseman in baseball. Uh, it's a rare or one of the top two, I, I, I suppose, if you really want to sort of argue about it. But yeah, he always hit. He hit at every uh, every uh, every stop of the way in in the minors, um, which is sometimes challenging in the Rockies system because so many of their minor league affiliates are incredible hitters parks so you're never a hundred percent sure um i kind of call it the in stewart syndrome where just because a guy hits you know in the lower levels uh Asheville is you know maybe one of the best hitter parks in all of in all of minor league baseball that I, i'm always now skeptical so i mean you know you see it and he kept doing it kept doing it and obviously now he's done it uh throughout his his, his big league career as well and the power is Stepped up big time, but yeah, the the defense was the one thing that you know in those reports that always sticks out, uh, where he just worked tirelessly and had the you know there are guys that work tirelessly and they just don't they don't have the 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 instincts or they don't have the hands to to do it. He had them; they just needed to be developed, and and he he gets a lot of the credit. And the Rockies player development system gives a lot of credit for helping him become the the third baseman that we see today. Yeah, and I, I got to yeah, go ahead, Jim. I was just say that the other thing that was interesting about his development, and Jonathan's right. I mean, the whole—you guys are right—the whole third base thing. You know, he, he was a below-average runner, and I think he lost about fifteen or twenty pounds, like after his first full pro season, um, and dedicated himself more there. But the, but the, the thing that was kind of odd, and I don't know if you guys remember this, but like so in 2011, he, he leads the minors in RBIs, and, and then he's the MVP of the Arizona Fall League, and he really puts himself on the map as a prospect. And in, in 2012, you know, he goes to Tulsa. You know, there was some talk he might be ready to make the jump to the big leagues. And I don't know if you remember this, but Dan O'Dowd, who, who was the GM of the Rockies at the time and now is you know guy we do a lot of work with at MLB Network, actually called him out at midseason in 2012 and kind of criticized his, his maturity level and effort level. Um, 
which you know, in retrospect, I mean, it's, when we look at the finished, uh, uh, the finished product, I mean, I don't think anybody ever has any questions about how hard Arenado is playing. But you know, I don't know if it was a case where he was disappointed, he he didn't get promoted, um, you know, at midseason from Double A. But uh, but I remember that, and it was kind of shocking because you, you usually do not see a GM call out one of his prospects like that, um, especially a guy who didn't have a reputation for necessarily being uh, you know a guy who wasn't giving full effort. Um, but you know whatever happened, you know he, he finished the year strong in Double A and made the Rockies pretty early in 2013. But 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 that that's something I could never get out of my mind about how unusual it was that Dan O'Dowd really called him out publicly. For, for you know saying something on lines I think that basically his maturity level uh you know what wasn't up there with his ability level yet yeah and I don't know who knows who's to say whether that was any sort of uh legitimate spark uh which which of course uh put him on a path to become one of the best players in baseball yeah it's it's really remarkable and you mentioned that the, the how hitter friendly the the Colorado Rockies minor league system is, and you mentioned Ian Stewart. I, as a longtime Ian Stewart fan, that one, that one, that one hurts a little bit to, <laughs> to bring that one up. Uh, but, but yeah, and, and the power. You know, we mentioned he he was putting up good offensive numbers, but you know he only hit twenty homers that season in, in the California League, twelve in Tulsa, and then you know the last four years in the big leagues, 42, 41, 37, 38. So it's it's really remarkable to see uh, what he's become. But but it is it is an interesting thing. And and, and you mentioned about Rockies prospects. It's still an issue we, we deal with now of course they're they're still in Asheville they still have some some pretty hitter friendly parks so we'll see as you mentioned Grant Levine uh, was very much <laughs> already doing that in the Pioneer League so so we'll see but but I, but I enjoy that look back and 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 it, it, it it's important to remember that you know all these guys at the top of the list now you know maybe they'll become stars and maybe there are guys who are at 65 in the list that are going to become the best player in baseball and you can just never really predict how that's going to go all right so the last thing we're going to do today uh, on the pipeline podcast we're going to take a look at this article uh, that you guys had earlier this week the 30 prospects we'll be talking about in 2021 so of course we're talking about the top 10 farm systems now with top 100 guys now uh, but we're looking a little bit lower down on the list and picking out one guy from every team that is going to be you know, shooting up the list in the next couple of years. Now, I know you guys like to do serpentine drafts, and I think we are going to do an, ab- an abridged version now, if that's okay with you guys. Uh, I, want, I think we're each going to pick three, all right? All right. And, and you know, I, I don't know how, how – this, this isn't ordered. This, this, this list isn't ordered. It's, it's one guy for every team. But, Jim, we're going to start with you. You have the number one pick. I'm assigning you the number one pick, Jonathan. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're, you can still get it's someone, really okay. Someone good at number two. Uh, Jim, we're going to start with you on this list. Who is your guy that you love the most uh, on this 2021? 2021. I actually did some impromptu prep for this mm, because I have in my pipeline inbox that that will go live. We I don't think it's gone live as we record this. I had a similar question and I, I ranked the top five guys and it was tough because I actually had 15 guys I wanted to rank. But I will if I had the number one pick. If anybody on this list, it's risky going pitcher over hitter, but I will take Matthew Libertor, left-handed pitcher of the Rays, best lefty in last year's draft. I like it. Yeah, I, I think when all is said and done, we could be talking about plus fastball, curve, changeup. You know, one of the best curves in last year's draft. The slider might get to plus also. It, it's tremendous feel uh, on the mound. I mean, again, you have the injury risk with pitchers, so you never know. But uh, but I will take I will take Libertor, um, and there's certainly. Uh, like nothing wrong with picking two or three in this draft because there's I mean there are a lot of good players on this list. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, that is that is a good start. It's still still kind of crazy to me he fell all the way to 16, but uh, a very 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 promising player. All right, Jonathan, you got you got the number two pick. No shame in that. Who who are you going? No, with? no, no, no shame in that. I feel like I'm the Orioles in 2010. I could just <laughs> take you know whoever Jim's in. But well, that would be but Jordan because he's picking third, Jonathan. Yeah, come on. Well, I, what, don't be so literal, Jim. I just meant in general, <laughs> being able to wait. My goodness. Um, I think, you know, the funny thing is I think you tend to sort of fall in love with guys that you write for the list that you do. And this year I did the Mariners for the first time. And it's rare that I'm talking about a Mariners prospect. But I'm going to take Julio Rodriguez, uh, the outfielder. Uh, I, I, uh, I love his upside. Um, tremendous raw power. Better approach than people thought. And then the best thing is he's kind of a large frame kid. And they weren't exactly sure is one of those things, especially this early in his career, which way he would go conditioning wise. And he showed up to their like early camp absolutely just a beast. Like took all of the off season conditioning stuff and went all and he, he was all in. So I think he is going to make a huge jump and at some point is going to be one of the top hitting prospects in baseball, a la Eloy Jimenez. That would be very, very cool. And I'm not saying that as a Mariners fan at all. Uh, no. <laughs> I'm going to take two picks here. I'm going, going back to back. And uh, I'm, first I'm going to take uh, Matthew Libertor's best friend, Nolan Gorman, who was drafted a few picks after him uh, out of another Phoenix area high school. This guy, uh, third baseman for the Cardinals, number two in the Cardinals system. He, you, know, you don't always expect high school hitters to show up in pro ball and start hitting a ton of home runs, but Nolan Gorman did just that, and I'm very excited to see how he progresses uh, over the next few years. And the other guy I'm going to take with the wraparound pick is I'm taking this one of the weirdest prospects in baseball, Pirates shortstop O'Neill Cruz. There are not a lot of six foot six guys still playing shortstop. Of course, we talked about Machado, and 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 you know we've seen Correa over the years. We've seen shortstops get a little bit bigger, but six foot six is a little ridiculous. But O'Neill Cruz, he's got huge power, he's got a huge arm, and no one really has ever seen anything like this. So I'm just excited to see how long he can stick in the infield, and uh, and and just just see what this guy becomes because uh, prospects that are truly nothing we've ever seen before are are always the most fun so i'm going cruz and gorman with my wraparound picks jonathan back to you and i love i do the pirates list also i live in pittsburgh so when you cruz he, he is he fascinates me so jordan you and i will be checking in on him regularly uh as, as we move forward in the podcast as he, he is one of the most intriguing prospects i've i've ever come across uh because who knows exactly what he's going to be um i think eventually he's probably a corner outfielder but i don't know um uh, I'm going to go back to uh, the outfield, I think, and we'll take the aforementioned Christian Robinson uh, with the Diamondbacks, uh, signed out of the Bahamas for $2.5 million in 2017. Um, again, a ton of power. Um, I think he's going to start tapping into it now, I and mean, he's still only uh, you know, a teenager. He was 17 years old and had a, a really good uh, debut across two rookie-level leagues last summer with some power, with some speed. And uh, one of the things I like is when we've talked to some of the other Bahamian players, uh, you know, we've talked a lot to Jazz Chisholm and, and Lucius Fox, and they'll argue over who's the better defender and who's the better hitter, who has more power. But then when you ask them 
who has the most power of all the players from the Bahamas, they all say it's Christian Robinson. So I'm uh, I'm excited to see what he can do uh, over the course of a of a of a full season. So it, I'm I'm going all in with uh, sort of power corner outfielders uh, with my draft so far. Totally respect that that strategy, uh, Jim. You got two picks now. Who who are you going with to round out your three? Yeah, I was going to say, well, great minds think alike because in that inbox article, I had Libertor one, Gorman two, Cruz three, and Christian Robinson four. So that <laughs> nice. was. Uh, you guys even picked them in the in the same order. I will take, you know, when you look at that list, there's so many great international players on there that uh, I, I probably should have gone deeper than five because I could have ranked 10 or 15 easily. I will take Ronnie Mauricio of the Mets, a shortstop. I think he's got a chance to be a plus hitter with plus power when all is said and done. He may wind up moving over to third base because he's not the quickest shortstop in the world, but I think that bat is going to play anywhere. Um, and then it, it's tough because there's so many guys, but I'll, I'll just stay. I'll take international shortstops for 200, and I'll take Marco Luciano of the Giants, who some guys thought was the best all-around hitter in international class last year. He has yet to make his, his pro debut, but, I mean, he's another guy who could be plus plus hitter, plus power when all is said and done. Um, again, there's some thought he's – He's faster than Mauricio. So I think he's got a better chance to stay it short. There's some talk he might be a third baseman, right fielder. Again, the bat's going to play anywhere. But uh, I'll take those two international shortstops. And I mean, you could. There's probably what about three or four other international shortstops on this list I could have taken. This this was a fun story to put together. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you can't really go wrong. Can't really go wrong. But we'll see which of these guys stay it short, move to third, move to the outfield. Who knows? It's all very early. All right, Jonathan, who you got with your final selection here? I just want to point out that it's clear that Jim does not watch Jeopardy anymore because there are no $200 categories. Uh, I don't. Yeah. See, I'm dating myself. He fooled me, too. Yeah. It's okay. Yes, that's really, it's, I, I enjoyed the reference. Um, you know, I was thinking about going shortstop. Wander Javier was the guy that I was looking at, but... I think I'm going to take a picture. I'm going to go with the Blue Jays right-hander Eric Pardino out of Brazil. Uh, I remember seeing that guy pitch in the, uh, I think it was the World Baseball Classic uh, qualifier. I think he was like 12 years old. Um, uh, but he, no, I think he was literally 15. Uh, maybe he was 16. Hadn't you know signed yet, and he was more than held his own. Uh, and the thing that's sort of intriguing about him is that it's really good stuff and a really good feel for pitching, uh, given how old he was, 17, uh, last year during his debut. He finished third in the Appy League in strikeouts. Uh, there is a lot to like and a really high ceiling, uh, you know, because he doesn't have the, the same kind of uh, extensive amateur background uh, being from Brazil that maybe uh, a kid from the Dominican or Venezuela would have. I think there's a lot of untapped potential. So I'm excited to see uh, what he can become as he moves forward. Yeah, that is that is definitely good. He and you made this easy for me because I was between Pardino and and my actual pick to round out this draft. I'm taking a shortstop, not an international guy. Uh, the Brewers' number three prospect, Bryce Terang. Uh, this is a dude that really fascinated me. Of course, as an underclassman, he was really kind of a big deal, and then fell all the way to number 21 uh, in the 2018 draft. But I think that you know the pro debut was was solid. The numbers aren't crazy, but this is a guy that I think at one point was was considered a super duper elite talent, and I'm 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 excited to see if he can kind of get back to that level. And and you know with the name Bryce is spelled a little bit different than Bryce Harper with an I instead of a Y. Pretty big 
pretty big standards to live up to. Uh, <laughs> he's probably never going to be the baseball Bryce, uh, but I still think that Terran could be a really, really good player in the Milwaukee system. All right, guys, uh, I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode of the Pipeline Podcast. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jordan Kuchman, for Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Uh, we will talk to you guys soon.